Welcome to the Danish National Biobank podcast. We've been gone for quite a while due to the coronavirus pandemic. We return now, however, to give you this special series. With speaks from our co-hosted symposium, Scaling Omics Approaches to Population Size. This is Stinus Lindgren, scientist, politician, and member of Folketinget, the Danish Parliament. On the topic, the political landscape, experiences from the first life science researcher in the Danish Parliament. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, yes, the reason I'm sitting here is... Uh, is exactly the COVID-19 uh, epidemic. Not because I'm infected or anything, but just that my schedule is kind of uh, dynamic, so to put it. So I suddenly had a lot of meetings popping up and doing that virtually is, is a lot easier. So I have to stay home today and, and do that. Something about, you know, mink populations and coronavirus and things like that. So that's been my life for the past half year. Um, but yes, you're right. I have a background in science. Um, I see a few names on the list here that I recognize, but for those of you who don't know me, I have a PhD in bioinformatics and have spent most of my adult life as a researcher, both in universities, but most recently at uh, Lundbeck, working together with at least one of the other participants uh, in this course. Uh, but now um, I'm sitting in parliament, um, still debating whether that was a good or a bad decision to make, but it's uh, definitely an interesting uh, place to be. Um, i am uh, the spokesperson, I guess you call it, for science and health. Uh, and that's the reason why I've been a bit busy with COVID-19 over the past months. So one of the things we have been working on, apart from the epidemic, of course, is looking at data, health data, and how to use that in both in research, but also in, in the health sector and hospitals and so on, which is, of course, the primary objective with it. Um, and that's an interesting debate in many ways. Um, as you know, uh, Peter, um, I've been involved in this debate for many, many years, uh, way before I, I ran for parliament, because this is a very important topic. How, to, how do we use data? How do we make sure that people agree to it? How do we use it in a proper way? How do we let um, industry use it and so on and so forth? Uh, there are a lot of, of aspects to this debate, of course. And I think one of the reasons we're doing fairly well in Denmark is that the population as such has a large degree of trust. We trust that our data will be used for good and not be abused for something nefarious. Um, and that's, of course, true, at least most of the time. Um, and we have to make sure that that doesn't change. We have to make sure that people know that when they give consent to something, we will use their data for that and not something else. And that's very important. But the debate is difficult, uh, of course. Again, I don't know all the backgrounds of, of the participants in this course, of course, but um, the debate is difficult because as when you start talking about genomics and DNA, people kind of freak out, and that goes for the population as a whole, but also for politicians. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a debate um, in Parliament about actually something completely different But one thing I've learned in Parliament is that you can have some a law uh, that you're debating, and then 
added onto that law, there are various weird things that doesn't actually have anything to do with what you're actually debating. So we had a law about something else. Um, and then as an addendum to that, we discussed the, um, uh, what's it called? The National Genome Center. What's it called? Yes. Um, because part of it was giving access to, to data in this, in this database for doctors working in, in the regions. And I saw that as kind of an obvious thing to do. The reason we have a genome database, of course, is that we want it to, to be used to give better treatment to, to, uh, to patients. But even so, there was a huge debate about whether this was all right and whether we gave permission to do something weird and should be, uh, should we not, and so on and so forth, because people don't understand what this is all about. And now we ended up where we always end up, that that part is being taken out. Um, and we're going to have another hearing, another debate in the uh, um, uh, among the, the health people from the different parties with the minister, and we're going to discuss it once more. And then my guess is nothing will happen, as has been the case for the past 10 years, because this is a very complicated area. And, of course, we have to make sure that data of this sort is not being abused, that we have to use it for the proper reasons, we have to use it for research, for health. Uh, we have to make sure that people have actually consented to what we're using it for. But it's also pretty clear to me that whenever we discuss these topics, it gets dragged on and on for way too long because nobody dares actually do something about it. This debate hasn't really changed for the past, I don't know, 10 years. It's the same topics, the same worries, um, the same people, and nothing really moves. And that's kind of frustrating. And I hope we can change that now. Uh, because, of course, we need to have open discussions. We have to make sure that people understand what the, the changes to the law will do. But we also have to make it pretty clear that by not doing anything, by not changing the law, we're actually also hurting patients um, because we're not giving proper access to data. We're not giving people the best possible treatment. Uh, and people have to understand that, that not making decisions is also a decision. Um, but of course, it's difficult because DNA and genetics and risk scores and all that is not something that most politicians understand. Um, I'm not saying that to to uh, to kind of talk them down or anything. It's just that's a, <laughs> a fact, right? Um, Yus, can I ask you a question about that fact? Yeah. How do you try to explain these matters then when you discuss this with the other members of the parliament that don't understand life science that you do? <laughs> Um, that's interesting because during this epidemic, we've had a, quite a few discussions of this sort. Um, we had a, a presentation uh, by Karl Mölbach uh, a few weeks ago about these uh, now very famous uh, mutations from uh, mink. And they, he talked about we had a deletion here and a substitution there, and whether it was a uh, um, conservative or not, and all this. And I thought it was really interesting. And then afterwards, some people were like, what? what the hell did he talk about? What is this? What is a deletion? And what is a substitution? What does that mean? And we have to, I mean, obviously people don't know this. Why would they? It's not basic knowledge. So I've actually discussed DNA and genetics. Obviously it's a fairly uh, simple way, but still with uh, quite a few members of parliament to kind of explain what, what, it, what it means. What is a mutation? Because to some people it just kind of, you know, it sounds freaky, right? They think X-Men and superpowers and all that. So trying to explain that, well, it's not something weird. It happens all the time. It's not specifically 
because mink mutates viruses. This happens in people too, obviously. So people have to understand what it's all about. And I wouldn't say that everybody does, um, not by a long shot. But still, um, when we make decisions based on this, we have to, of course, have a basic understanding of what it means. Um, but it is difficult. I mean, if you go back to March, um, in the beginning of the epidemic, I'm pretty sure that most people didn't understand what an exponential growth meant. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody knows now. Uh, but back then, we were, I, I mean, I discussed this quite a lot with my colleagues. And I had um, one of them, Henrik Dahl, from uh, Liberal Alliance, um, one of the more far-right parties. He and I don't agree on everything, um, obviously. But when it came to the epidemic, we actually agreed quite quite a lot on how to handle it and why we were worried about it. Because we both followed the data from different countries and we kind of extrapolated the Danish um, uh, numbers to see where we were headed. So we had quite a lot of discussions also about the scientific concepts. And that kind of spilled into the, uh, to the broader uh, group of, of politicians discussing this. Um, so I, I do what I can. Uh, we had a few discussions just a few days ago uh, about this um, antibody experiment that SSI did, where I kind of explained what it meant when you have a threefold decrease in something. And I mean, so we do actually discuss quite a surprising amount of science in, in politics, not, not as much as I used to, but, but some at least. I don't know if that was a, an answer. And now what? Should I wait for a question or should I say something more? It's all dark here. Yes, sorry, Stevens. I just wanted the, the sound to be turned on again. Thanks. Yeah, I think we can take some questions. That would be uh, sure. a good thing. Uh, anyone here? Yes, we have a question. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing your experiences. I thought it was about uh, how it is to shift uh, the position on the tables. Um, I just wanted to comment as well and also hear your, your idea about this. Um, in some ways, we end up talking what along what we could call a deficit model of public understanding. They, uh, we measure them upon what they don't know, but that science do know, rather than looking upon what they do know, but science doesn't know. And some of it has to do with them having other aspects than what's in the data that matters to them. So uh, how do we ensure a respectful dialogue, which is not built purely on a deficit model, but also on a model of what is it that people do know that we haven't thought about getting data on? <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a question. Um... That's a very good question. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where to start on that. Um, so what people do know, we... Uh, <laughs> can we be more specific? I mean, I mean, this is a very broad discussion, well, right? For example, uh, we just spoke about uh, the ways in which indigenous people sometimes have other interests uh, mm -hmm. in, in research. And how do we ensure that we actually gather information about what it matter, what matters to them? Uh -huh. uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, sometimes it's it would be also about um, uh, potential implications for family members, uh, which we would not have thought about as you know the the main thing, but which are things they care about. 
So you mean that when you do genetic studies, you don't, don't, you don't only say something about the patient, you have to say something about the patient's parents or siblings as well? So there are add-ons to that, right? I think you're nodding, but I can't hear you. But yeah, so I mean, obviously these discussions, there are a lot of, of ethical aspects to it uh, as well uh, that we have to, to be aware of. I mean, these are not simple things at all. Um, I mean, that's why it keeps coming up. And I think one of the things that kind of bothers me is that there are some things that are obvious, right? We all want the best treatment for patients, for instance, whatever that means. But I mean, we can all agree on that. Um, but then when you do that, when you say we want to collect data for that purpose, then obviously you can use it for other things as well. Um, and kind of what you're saying here, that if I, if I get a risk score for I don't know, cancer, for instance, or Alzheimer's or something else. That says something about me, but it also says something about my kids or my brother or something like that. So there are add-ons that we, we can't really neglect as well. Um, I don't think there's an easy uh, workaround for that. But I think we have to make it, make, make it pretty clear when we discuss this, at least in Parliament, that if we want this to work, if we want the National Genome Center, for instance, to, to matter, right? Then we at least need to, to make sure we can actually access the data for the purpose of, of treating patients. And if we can't even agree on that, then it's uh, it's kind of uphill. Oh, sorry. The minister is calling. You may have to call back. Um, so, uh, sorry, I was kind of distracted now. Um, and if you talk broader about which topics to do research on, um, who it matters to, who should decide what to do research on. That's a very broad discussion as well, um, not only in health, but in general. But what should we spend the, the public funding on? Um, that's something where I, probably because of my, my background as well, I, I really like the, the to make it as, as open as possible, um, to make sure that, that the researchers can can do research in whatever is, is actually important to, to them or to the to the broader uh, to to the population as such, uh, instead of us at uh, in Parliament the, the kind of deciding what to do research on. Thanks, Dinus. Do, do you have time for one more question before calling the minister? <laughs> <laughs> well, he has to wait until half past. I told him I was uh, busy now, so. Okay, thank you. They have to wait. We're here. Sure. Thanks. We have a, a question on Zoom uh, from uh, Tuxi. Uh, would you uh, would you like to ask the question yourself? Turn yeah. on the mic. Yeah. Um, so I was just wondering, since we are discussing these ethics issues uh, in the afternoon now, um, just curious how uh, how you see the role played by the private companies now that we have like Twenty Three and Me and some others that are also collecting genetic data and. Also, they have this, of course, they also have a profit profit mindset. So I was curious, how do you see this affecting the public point of view towards mm. genetic data collection and use of genetic data and similar things? Yeah, I don't think there's a, a way to stop that at all. And I think it's a good thing. I mean, I love genetics and I think it's fascinating. Uh, I mean, that's what I used to do uh, as well. Um, of course, the, the problem here is that most doctors today uh, don't really understand how to work with genetic data. 
how to interpret it, how to present a risk score to the patient in a way that they can actually understand. That's a whole different mindset, a whole different set of skills you need for that. Um, and of course, those skills exist out there, but not just uh, the doctors don't have them. And that's not a criticism of doctors. I mean, that's just a fact. Uh, and most doctors would agree to that. So um, it does mean that this is something that will be helpful to some people, but not to others. Um, and that's that's just how it is. Uh, I don't see a huge problem with that. Uh, but of course, it is important that uh, when you have a, a private company doing this, uh, I know this is uh, the case already today, that we restrict kind of what they are allowed to to sell, what kind of information are they allowed to give you? I mean, if they give you a, tell you that you have a risk for some specific disease, for instance, there has to be very, they have to be extremely sh sure that what they're sending to you is useful and correct. Uh, so you're not kind of getting something that freaks you out without any, um, without, uh, without any reason, right? Uh, so you have to make sure that uh, the, the facts are correct. That's one thing. Um, and I know there's a lot of focus on that uh, in the US at least on what kind of information, what kind of predictions are they allowed to do. But when you get the genetic data, you can of course always get some expert to look at it and give you a risk score and, and so on and so forth. And I think that's, that's fine. And I think we have to accommodate that in the public sector as well, because that's how it's moving now. It's getting so cheap and so easy to get this information. Uh, we learn more and more. We, we're also using it, obviously, in, in the public uh, part of it, right? Uh, mainly in, in cancer, but we are using it. So I guess it's just going to grow from here on. All right. Thank you, Stignus. We have one more question. That's, his, uh, that's Bjarke. Bjarke? Yeah. Uh, hello. Um, hi. Um, so, so uh, we heard some inspiring talks about uh, the system set up in Finland, uh, where they really, you know, have this common analytic platform for omics data, genetic data, and register data. That's something we've been dreaming about in Denmark for many years, and have talked um, with uh, various uh, admi administrations and and government uh, about, uh, but nothing really seems to be happening in that field or rather uh, focus has been so much on the national genome center and on on clinical um, applications and and data arising from whole genome sequencing but there are very large data sets um, including SNP array data uh, that um, where you can address important questions by um, by having the large large numbers and combining with the registered data and currently it's it's really um, from, I think also from a public trust perspective, you know, you have these various different institutions that have data sets and each and every institution has its own interpretation of GDPR and on, on how to handle data and so on. I think it would be very beneficial also for public trust to say, this is the way we do it in Denmark. These are the interpretations and also for researchers to be able to use this one-stop shop solution here. The, here we apply for permissions, and then uh, you know we can spend our time on what we actually good at doing research, and not on interpreting legal and uh, legal uh, stuff and so on. So, what 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 are your thoughts on that? How can we get up to speed on this? It's really frustrating for us as researchers, I think. Yes, it is extremely frustrating because this debate has been going on for years. Um, 
and we we keep saying that in Denmark we have the best um, registries and so on and so forth, and that might be right, but it's very hard to get access to them, um, and it's very hard to get an overview. I know work is going on on that right now, uh, creating this uh, landscape, I think they call it, kind of just getting an overview of what is actually out there, what type of data do we have, and also making it easier to get access, not I should say not by making um, it, not by removing the ethical um, restraints or anything like that, but just making it easier to find out where should I go, who should I talk to, how do I get uh, my um, permission sent in and so on. That has to be made easier. And Finland is one of the countries that is always brought up. That and Israel are always mentioned as countries we should look to and be inspired by. Um, so that's one thing we actually ask the uh, ministry to look at is what do they do in Finland that we don't do in Denmark? And can we somehow copy that in some way or another? So we are looking into that, but it's it's extremely slow uh, for various reasons. I think one is that uh, for good reasons and for bad, people are afraid that they're going to go too far, um, give permission to something that we shouldn't do, right? So we have to make sure that the balance is always always there but it's it is moving extremely slow so that's one thing the other is the gdpr part you mentioned um that is a big issue because in denmark we are it's a fairly small country and even so we have different interpretations of the law in the five different regions sometimes even different interpretations within one region and that's a problem and that's actually a problem that uh, right now i've uh, Next week, I think we have a meeting uh, in the regional council about this, where I brought it up and said, we have to look into this. We have to work. So we in Denmark at least have one interpretation of this. So it's so if you get permission to do something in one part, you can actually work with people in another part. That should be possible to do. It should be easy to do. So um, I have actually focused on that exactly, exactly that problem uh, right now. So I hope to solve it, but I don't know how fast it will go, but I'm, I'm looking into it. Cheering for you. <laughs> Thank you. So should we uh, say thanks to Stinus and let him go to the minister? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good luck out there. <laughs>